0: to like clowns.
1: I did give you a fair warning.
0: Yeah, I'm starting. To... Oh, oh, hi, friends. <laughs> <laughs> hi,
1: everybody. My name is Gage.
0: My name is Ray.
1: And yes, you are listening to Gore Report, a true crime podcast. Yes. Yay.
0: Spooky.
1: All of the spooky.
0: All of the time.
1: If you're new here with me and Ray, then we welcome you. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. We appreciate you tuning in with us. Hopefully you enjoy the show and you'll stick around with us for a while. It's pretty weird in here.
0: (laughs) And we hope that you guys are having a good day and a good week and and a a good good life. life.
1: No matter where you are, we're going to continuously wish you that pleasant existence.
0: Nice.
1: See, just I did one adjective that time. Yeah. Just one. I I didn't feel the need to go do all of that. I was very calm.
0: Who are you? What did you do with Gage? <laughs> so, and where were you October 13th?
1: <laughs> I'm just going to be a little straightforward. This is part two of John Wayne Gacy. This is the conclusion of this case. Um, I know you guys have been waiting a week to finish this awful story. So here we are. There's just a lot of information to get through. So
0: mm-hmm. buckle in. I would say sit back and relax and grab your snacks. But this is part two of the installment. Today, there will be no resting.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely not. This (laughs) this episode is going to be worse than part one, for sure.
0: Oh, my God. I don't know if I'm ready for this.
1: Yay, we're going to hell again. A somewhat brief recap from part one before we continue... We discussed John Gacy's early life and his upbringing. We discussed his life leading into the 1970s when John would eventually start his own construction business called PDM Contractors. And this is also the period of time where John started killing. In 1972, John committed his first murder. He lured 16-year-old Timothy McCoy back to his house after finding him at a bus stop. John would brutally stab Timothy to death the next morning, and then he placed Timothy's body in the crawlspace of his house. In 1974, John would kill again, and this victim is still unfortunately unidentified. All we know is that this body was buried next to John's barbecue pit in his backyard. Where we left off in Part 1, it was 1975, and Carol and her children had left to go stay with John's mother after she got injured from a fall, and this left John alone at home. It would be soon after carol left that john would claim the life of 18 year old john butkovich his body was later recovered from under gacy's garage and he was wrapped in tarp so continuing on from that point in october of 1975 carol asked john for a divorce she reached that point to where like you know she had enough and remember what i talked about in part one like i could not imagine living with john wayne motherfucking gacy Right. Like, I could not. Carol had already developed some pretty intense suspicions of John. She's smelling this horrible odor through the house constantly. Uh, We know that it's the smell of decay. Carol didn't know that. But there's bugs collecting in the house. John is acting super fucking weird all the time. Carol's noticing that John was in and out majority of the time at weird hours of the night and early morning. More times than not, he had teenage boys with him. And she's also finding gay porn magazines and stuff like that laying around the house. So, like, it, ju- it's too much. John and Carol's marriage had already started falling apart way before she asked for a divorce. But, you know, this is just where she hit that breaking point. She realized that she just couldn't handle it anymore. And I don't blame her. She was with him for four years.
0: Yeah, good for her.
1: Four years, bitch. You were with John Wayne Gacy for four years. Kudos to you. Live your life. Right. <laughs> Their divorce was finalized on March 2nd, 1976. Carol and her two kids stayed at John's house for a few weeks after the divorce, and then she moved into her own apartment with her kids.
0: Good for her. She
1: got the fuck out of Dodge. Right. But now, John was completely by himself in the house again. And this point specifically really marks a horrible, horrible decline in events. I mean, you have to think john was getting cocky enough to murder while his now ex-wife and her two kids would be in the house like literally he didn't give a fuck
0: yeah and i'm wondering if she like maybe knew to some small degree
1: i mean if you want to be honest there are some people that speculate that i don't think she knew like there were other things that carol knew about john that's a little weird like before she married him She knew that he had been convicted of sodomizing a teenage boy. She knew that. And she still married him and moved her kids into his house. So that's a little, "Mm, you know, Carol, what the Mm, fuck? But when he started killing and like, this part of the story, I don't think she knew. Okay. Yeah, I truly don't think she knew. I mean, it's just wild. John did a pretty good job at first of hiding all of this. So he's alone at the house now. He's very, very arrogant. He was arrogant before Carol moved out. So now that he has this whole house to himself, he's just really on cloud nine. Now he didn't have to hide anything in his house. He didn't have to sneak around. Right. It was just him and his whole space, and he could just do whatever he wanted to do. This is a very horrible point in the story. This period of time from 1976 to 1978 is when John Wayne Gacy would commit the rest of his murders. This man, yeah, this man killed 29 to 31 boys in two years, which is fucking insane. It's scary. And you haven't even heard the absolute worst of what he did. Gacy was truly evil. He not only used magic tricks, his handcuff trick and his rope trick. He had a rope trick, too, by the way, if I haven't clarified that. It's the same as the handcuff trick, but he does it with rope. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's not only using all of that shit, but he also has this whole clown character that he's using to lure in his victims as well. And when he wasn't being Pogo the Clown, he was luring in and then killing the boys that he would hire to work for him, his employees.
0: Oh my God.
1: John Wayne Gacy would not only brutally rape and assault his victims before eventually strangling them to death, but he would also brutally torture his victims as well. He would sexually torture them. Wow. When he eventually gets caught and the police really search his house, they found extremely large dildos ranging from 18 to 24 inches in length. These dildos had blood and uh, other substances all over them. Gacy had a literal torture chamber in his garage for doing all of this shit. He had a device called the rack which was a wooden board suspended to the ceiling by chains. This board had three holes drilled into it that were designed to restrain your hands and your head.
0: Oh, so like a pillory.
1: Pretty much. Most of the bodies that were recovered from under Gacy's house still had pairs of underwear or clumps of cloth stuffed down their throats. Gacy would take the underwear off of his victims and he would stuff them inside of their throats, like not just their mouth, but literally down into their throat. He would also strip some of his victims of their clothes after he murdered them, and then he would go and donate those clothes to different Salvation Army uh, donation centers. Oh, my God. He was a fucking monster. Like, I cannot stress enough.
0: That's like what Dorothea Puente was doing.
1: Right. Every time
0: she killed somebody, she would take their clothes and donate it.
1: Yeah, so there were people in this time unknowingly wearing the clothes of missing dead teenage boys, clothes they were killed in.
0: Jesus.
1: So, you know, I can't stress enough the trigger warnings for this. Um, (laughs) Just prepare yourselves. Now we're about to trek through the rest of the murders. Everything that happened when Gacy got caught, just all of it. It's about to be a very long, very sad and horrible episode. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) There's no other way that I can put that. Within weeks of Carol and her kids leaving the house, John took the life of his next victim. He was an 18-year-old boy named Daryl Sampson. And I want to remind everyone, to going forward with this, um, what I said in Part 1, that there are some victims of Gacy that just unfortunately don't have a whole lot of information regarding their abduction or who they were as people. Yeah. So some of these may be brief descriptions just simply because the information isn't there. Right. So I took what I could find. And also there are still unidentified victims of gacy today so what we're about to go through are the known victims okay so it's just something to keep in mind but daryl sampson he went missing on april 6th 1976 and he would later be recovered from gacy's crawlspace okay just weeks after killing daryl gacy abducted and murdered 15 year old randall Reffitt. he went missing on may 14th 1976 and his body was later recovered from Gacy's crawlspace. Okay. When Randall's body was identified in 1979, it was found that his cause of death was asphyxiation. He had been strangled to death. Jeez. Literally on the same day that he killed Randall, John went out cruising for another victim. This was something that he did. He would basically get in his car, drive around looking for boys to kill, and he called this cruising. Ugh. So he was cruising for another victim, and he abducted and murdered a 14-year-old boy named Samuel Stapleton. Samuel was walking home from a relative's house when John spotted him. He was reported missing on May fourteenth, 1976, and his body would also later be found in Gacy's crawlspace. He was identified by his family when they found a bracelet still on his wrist. It was Samuel's bracelet.
0: Oh, my God.
1: It is very sad. So John had killed two boys in one day, just literal hours apart from one another. This goes to show further how he's really going off the fucking rails, like way off the rails. Yeah. Also, side note, when John Wayne Gacy would kill twice in one day, he referred to it as a double event. Ew. Fucking pig. Again, he's losing control. As we progress, it's going to become more and more clear just how much John was slipping off the rails, like Mm -hmm. fucking truly. Weeks after murdering Samuel Stapleton, Gacy abducted and murdered 17-year-old Michael Bonin. He went missing on June 3rd, 1976. He was waiting for a train to go and visit some relatives, and he never made it onto the train. God. Michael's body would later be discovered in Gacy's crawlspace. He was found with rope still around his neck.
0: this That's just... Oh, my God.
1: John's next victim was 16-year-old William, or Billy Carroll, he disappeared on June 13, 1976, and his body would be found in Gacy's crawlspace. On August 5, 1976, Gacy abducted and murdered 16-year-old James Byron Hackinson. The last his family heard of him was a phone call where he was telling them that he was in Chicago visiting, and that he was never heard from again. James Hackinson's body would later be found in Gacy's crawlspace, but he wasn't officially identified until 2017.
0: Oh, so that's the one that we were talking about that it was like, that's not, that's not
1: the most recent, but it is a recent identification. The one that I mentioned in part one happened in 2021. Uh, This was in 2017. Okay. And it's fucking sad. His family went 41 years without knowing what happened to him.
0: Oh God.
1: And James isn't the only victim that was identified way later. Like I said, there was a few also going forward. I also said in part one when we started getting into the murders, I want you to pay attention to the dates as I'm telling them.
0: Yeah, I was because I was like trying to figure out. That's why I've been so quiet because I've been trying to figure it out in my head, like what the correlation is.
1: Yeah, I'm telling you, it's insane. For like the fifth time, it goes to show how fucking out of control he was. Sometimes he was killing twice in one day, others days apart. I mean, it's just fucking wild. God. So the very next day. After murdering James Hackinson on August 6, 1976, Gacy abducted and murdered 17-year-old Rick Johnston. Rick was last seen going to a concert of some sort, and then he vanished, and his body would also be found in Gacy's crawlspace.
0: God.
1: Two months after that, on October 25th, 1976, John would go on to abduct and kill two boys at once. These boys were 16-year-old Kenneth Ray Parker and 14-year-old Michael Marino. The boys were friends, and they were last seen hanging out together in a park. The parents of these boys immediately reported them as missing when neither of them returned home that day. Gacy had brutally raped and strangled both of them to death, and then he buried them side by side in his crawlspace.
0: Oh my god!
1: The very next day after that... On October 26, 1976, 19-year-old William George Bundy went missing after he told his parents that he was going to a party with some friends of his, and he was never seen again. William Bundy is another victim that wasn't identified until way later. It was 2010 or 2011 that he was finally identified.
0: Oh, my God.
1: His family had submitted DNA, and there was a match. I think it was his siblings that submitted DNA. Mm -hmm. William's family went 34 years without knowing what happened to him. On December 12th, 1976, John murdered one of his employees, 17-year-old Gregory Godzik. Gregory had only been working for PDM for only three weeks before he was murdered. Wow. He was reported missing by his parents when he never came home after dropping his girlfriend off at her house after they had a date gregory never made it home after that and he was never seen alive again
0: that's so freaking like just chilling because the next day you're just gone
1: gone i read that gregory's parents placed his christmas presents in a closet in their home where they remained while they looked for him like they were holding on to his christmas presents hoping yeah they were hoping that they could give them back to him when he came home but he never came home
0: that is so sad
1: Gregory's 1966 Pontiac would be found by police just a few days later, and his wallet would later be found in Gacy's house. Gregory was identified in 1979 by dental records. It was confirmed that he was one of the bodies found in the crawlspace.
0: So many bodies in this crawlspace.
1: I'm telling you, it's fucking horrific. On January 20th, 1977, 19-year-old John Sizik went missing. He was last seen alone driving his 1971 Plymouth satellite, and then he vanished. I believe it was the very next day that police found John's car at a gas station. It was being driven by Gacy's roommate, 16-year-old Michael Rossi. So police obviously approach Michael, and they're like, Hey... This car matches the description of a car belonging to a now-missing boy. So, like, where'd you get it? Right. And Michael tells police that he's John Gacy's roommate and that he had been given the car by Gacy. So police go and ask John about it, and he tells police that John Sizek had sold him the car because he needed money to run away. So he tells the police that he bought the car from John, and then John took the cash and left. And the police believed him. Again, nothing was followed up. And keep in mind, as I've said a few times through this case, more than a few times, Gacy was a staple in the community. He had power. He was known and loved by everyone. He was this really successful businessman. He was involved with local politics. He was constantly doing stuff within his community. He was still doing his clown performances for parties and for children. In 1978, like a little later on, Mm -hmm. John Wayne Gacy even met and took photos with former First Lady Rosalind Carter
0: i guess i just forget the fact that he does have status and he does have quote unquote power um but it's just i mean it doesn't it's absurd i can't get past the fact gacy is being tied to these things and it's just explained away like yeah
1: he was a charming motherfucker and, what be- the fuck? and because of the way he portrayed himself in the community No one questioned him. Even going into the investigation, when police are suspicious of him and they're going around talking to people, hardly anyone had anything bad to say about John. That is so wild. There were several people that were like, holy shit, John Gacy? He wouldn't hurt a fly. That's wild. No one knew. So, you know, he had status. That plays a part in it. And what I mentioned earlier about him meeting fucking Rosalind Carter Like, what the fuck? I'll actually post that photo of him and Rosalind on our social media for those of you that want to go see it. It's fucking chilling because the photo was taken in 1978. He had already killed all of his victims.
0: God.
1: And he's standing there with the first lady, the former first lady. Like, that's that's fucking insane. That is so wild. And this whole time that everybody is just blinded by John's facade, he is brutally murdering boys one by one. Like, a 100% the police did nothing. I'm going to say that many times in this episode that they did nothing. All of these instances that you're hearing me talk about, like where I'm saying that the victims were later found in the crawl space, that happened way later. So as we're going through these victims and these murders, remember that they're just missing at this point. All of these boys are just missing. No one knows that every single one of them is dead and buried beneath Casey's house.
0: That is so sad.
1: It's enraging. Had police actually followed up and did their jobs, dozens of boys could have been spared. It said that John Gacy killed 33 boys, but that's just the victims that were found. And some of them today, as I've said, are still unidentified. Ultimately, we don't know how many people Gacy killed. There are experts that believe that he could have killed way more.
0: Right. I mean, if he's killing two in one day... I mean, I would hate to look at that man's fucking schedule.
1: I'm t- uh, right, right. How in the fuck does he fit this into his daily life with being a politician and being a clown and being, you know, how the fuck did he do it? It's scary.
0: It's like that Eddie is your where He's like death, death, death. Breakfast, right? Death, death, death dinner. I'm telling you, that's
1: li- that's literally what this man's schedule is. And it's just one of those enraging points, like before we continue, you think of the possibility of how most of this could have been prevented had law enforcement actually done what they were supposed to do. You just can't help but be a little enraged by it. And if you remember right. from part one, the parents of John Butkovich pleaded with police to investigate Gacy on a weekly basis for two years because they thought he had something to do with their son's disappearance and yes. nothing was done. Yeah. John's first story of what happened to John Sizek is complete bullshit. Later on, John actually confessed to luring Sizek over to his house to discuss buying the car. And then he strangled him to death with rope the minute he walked into the house. God. The body of John Sizik would later be found in Gacy's crawlspace, and his class ring was also later found in John's house.
0: What the fuck, man?
1: Days after the murder of John Sizek. Gacy made Michael Rossi and David Cram go into the basement to fill the crawl space with more quicklime to hide the scent of decay. John would make Michael and David literally go down to that basement in that crawl space to like fill it in and dig trenches and shit. They had no idea they were digging into the graves of dead teenage boys. It's just fucked if you think about it. What the fuck? On March 15, 1977, a 20 year old from Michigan named John Prestige went missing after he made a trip to Chicago to visit his friends. His body would later be found in Gacy's crawlspace. On July 5, 1977, 19 year old Matthew Bowman disappeared and he was never heard from again. His body was later found in Gacy's crawlspace. John's next victim after that was the son of a Chicago police officer. 18-year-old Robert Gilroy went missing on September 25th, 1977. Robert and his family were living in the same neighborhood as John when he vanished. But again, nothing was done. Nothing was followed up. No one investigated. It just, again, it scares the shit out of me. I'm
0: fucking speechless.
1: But it's also a note... Of how cocky, again, John Wayne Gacy is getting. He just killed the son of a fucking police officer because he knows nothing's going to be done about it. He knows he's not going to get caught. So it's, like, insane. And it's fucking sad. You're just seeing this whole fucking thing just play out. And it's like, wow.
0: I have nothing to say.
1: Robert Gilroy's body would later be found in Gacy's crawlspace. On the same day that Robert went missing, September 25th, a 19-year-old Marine named John Mowry would also come up missing. There isn't a lot of information regarding what exactly happened to him, but he was, in fact, abducted and then murdered by John Wayne Gacy because his body was later found in the crawlspace.
0: What?
1: John's next victim was 21-year-old Russell Nelson. He was studying architecture at a college in Minnesota. Russell went to Chicago with some friends, and he vanished after leaving a nightclub. It was October 17, 1977 when he vanished, and he would later be found in the (sighs) crawlspace. On November 11, 1977, 16-year-old Robert Winch was reported missing. John had abducted and murdered him. And this is another instance in which a whole lot of information about the actual attack isn't really known. It's sad, but Robert was later identified as one of the bodies found in the crawlspace. One week later, on November 18th, 1977, 20-year-old Tommy Balling vanished. Tommy was actually a father of one, and his body was recovered from the crawlspace. Tommy was also found with rope still around his neck.
0: Oh my god.
1: On December 9th, 1977, another 19-year-old Marine vanished. His name was David Tolsma, and he would also later be discovered in the crawlspace.
0: I'm just, I'm so sorry. I am just.
1: (laughs) I told you this is fucking awful.
0: I had no idea the extent of like how bad this was.
1: Yeah. And this is just the beginning. So this next encounter that happened on December 30th, 1977, the boy actually survived and it's fucking horrific. This boy's name is Robert Donnelly, and he was 18 years old at the time, and he was abducted by John Wayne Gacy. John held Robert at gunpoint, telling him that he was under arrest. John was pretending to be a police officer, basically. So he forces Robert into his car. He handcuffs him, and this is where John would torture Robert for almost an entire day, a whole 24 hours. John took Robert into the house, still in handcuffs, and he brutally raped Robert. Robert said that the entire time that John was raping him that he was being choked to the point of being unconscious. Uh-huh. John choked him in and out of consciousness repeatedly. He was also forced to watch gay porn the entire time this was happening. And John also would point a handgun in his face that had a blank loaded into it. He was basically playing Russian roulette as he brutally raped this kid. And in between all of that, Robert said that John also held his head underwater in a bathtub to the point of almost drowning him repeatedly over and over again. And the kicker here... John didn't kill Robert, obviously. In fact, after doing all this, he made Robert take a shower and then he drove him to work the next day and dropped him off as if nothing had happened. He told Robert if he said anything about the attack, he would kill him.
0: That is a lot to process.
1: Yeah, it's fucking awful. And Robert was terrified. He didn't report this attack to police until January of 1978 and the case was not pursued. All charges would be dropped against John because a defense attorney told Robert that when it came to being in court, that everyone was more likely to believe John and not him.
0: What the fuck? Yes.
1: Another survivor of John Wayne Gacy that was brutally assaulted and reported it to the police with nothing being done about it was 26-year-old Jeffrey Rignall. And I'm just going to go ahead and say for this one, uh, this is fucking bad. This is graphic. I'm implementing all of my trigger warnings here. This is just, you know, it's not fucking good. You've gathered that. It's just not good. Okay. So on March 21st, 1978, Jeffrey was walking to a bar located in Rosemont, Illinois, when John Wayne Gacy pulled up beside him. He offered Jeffrey a ride and he offered to smoke some marijuana with him. So Jeffrey got in and John immediately puts a chloroform soaked rag over his face, making him completely unconscious. Jeffrey described that he had blacked out over and over again for the entire ride to John's house. Like John just kept chloroforming him repeatedly. Jeffrey had so much chloroform used on him that he would later have permanent liver damage.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So when Jeffrey passed out that last time and came to, he woke up in John's garage or the torture chamber. His hands and head were locked in the rack, and he was stripped completely naked. And when he came to further he saw John Wayne Gacy standing in front of him, also naked. And on the ground next to Jeffrey's feet were several dildos that were all ranging in different widths and lengths. They were all fucking huge.
0: God. It
1: is fucking horrific. Jeffrey also noticed that there were mirrors all over the walls and ceilings, and everything was lit up by a red light bulb hanging above him. Literal horror movie shit. He woke up to this. So he wakes up fully. He starts panicking. And John Gacy starts telling Jeffrey in great detail what he's about to do to him. And it would be over the next several hours that John brutally, and I mean brutally, raped and assaulted Jeffrey repeatedly with various objects. He was also brutally beaten, drugged, and whipped repeatedly. Um, I also read another source that said that pliers and candle wax were used anally.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Uh, So, yeah. Again, fucking rough.
0: If you guys could, like, see my face right now.
1: I'm telling you, it's awful. The last thing that Jeffrey remembers was being chloroformed again, making him knock out. And then the next thing, when he woke up, he was fully clothed under a statue in Lincoln Park, which is a park in Chicago. He was just dropped off fully clothed.
0: What the fuck? fucking mind game is going on
1: jeffrey had severe internal injuries from the assault he somehow made it back to his girlfriend's house where she then took him to northwestern memorial hospital and he was there for six days recovering again his injuries were fucking horrific it's amazing it didn't kill him while he's in the hospital Jeffrey tells police about the attack. He spills everything that he can remember, and the police do nothing because Jeffrey's claim apparently seemed like a lie. It seemed too far-fetched to be true. So, yeah, as he's sitting in the hospital with horrific injuries that match his story, he's fucking lying. So the police didn't do anything, and they also didn't want to get involved because it just seemed like, quote, gay stuff. And what case does that make you think of? Dahmer. Exactly. That's exactly what happened here. After Jeffrey was released from the hospital and get this shit, this is just fucking insane. He actually went and tracked John down to get his license plate number. He remembered the car that had picked him up. So this brave ass human, he found John's car. He spotted it in public and then he wrote the plate number down and then he followed this car to the house Making sure that it was the same house that he was taken to. Mm -hmm. So, after he confirmed that that was in fact what had happened and where it had happened, he took this information to the police. He gave police John Gacy's license plate number and his address, and still nothing was done about it. Nothing.
0: Get the fuck out of here. And I
1: couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine how Jeffrey felt. He is fucking traumatized, clearly. I like our imagination can only conjure what he went through. So he gets out of the hospital and then goes and finds this motherfucker and gets his address and his plate number. I couldn't imagine how scary that was. And he gives it to authorities for nothing to be
0: done. That's pissing me off.
1: So you have all these people pointing fingers at John All these people, all these parents that are adamantly telling police that they think John is responsible. You have several boys telling police about how they were brutally assaulted and almost killed by John. And you also have dozens of teenage boys that are missing that in one way or the other are seemingly connected to John. But the police don't do anything for the hundredth time. They didn't do anything. Not yet. Anyways.
0: What the fuck?
1: So the police are basically telling these people.
0: What? Did you just accuse John Wayne Gacy, the cool Democrat
1: clown guy that has bomb-ass block parties? Bitch, no! No!
0: (laughs) Bitch, no way! No way!
1: So, John has already at this point murdered so many boys. He's becoming increasingly unhinged and cocky he's so out of control that he's now brutally assaulting boys and dropping them off at work the next day or leaving them underneath statues in public parks and it's that fuel that led to him obviously you know doing the rest of what he did he's killing two people in a single day at this point like my god hours apart days apart right And jokes aside, it's that same point, again, that I've also brought up. It's enraging. If all of these reports had been followed up properly and seriously, dozens of lives could have been spared. Dozens of families could have been spared. Right. So much life was brutally snuffed out before this monster was finally caught, and it's just... It's hard not to think about continuing with this plot line here that John is literally getting away with fucking murder for now. And I mean, he
0: literally is huh? we
1: can now continue through the rest of his murders leading up to the one that would get him caught okay on february 16th 1978 19 year old william kindred disappeared and was never heard from or seen alive again his body would later be found in gacy's crawl space and going forward with this next murder we're now crossing the threshold of when john started dumping his victims in the des plains river
0: because i was about to ask like how big is this motherfucker's crawl space
1: big enough to fit 27 bodies because following the murder of William Kindred, he officially ran out of room in the crawl space. So this is when he goes to start dumping them in the river. Keep in mind, through all the murders that we've gotten so far, there are also murders happening in between those. There were unidentified bodies recovered from the crawl space. There are murders that happen that we unfortunately don't know anything about. So not only are we going through all of this, which is bad enough, but keep in mind there are blank spaces where he's killing in between these. Man. Fucking insane. It is absolutely insanity. So now that he's gotten to the point to where he's killed so many, he now needs to find a new place to dispose of victims. And he chose the Des Plaines River. So these next few are the last of his murders. Okay. The first of John's victims to be thrown into the Des Plaines River was 20 year old Tim O'Rourke. He disappeared in June of 1978 and his body was the first to later be recovered from the river. On November 4th, 1978, 19-year-old Frank Wayne Dale Langdon disappeared he was later recovered from the des Plaines river and when he was found he had a pair of underwear stuffed down his throat he didn't like the fluid leaking out of the mouth and the nose so he shoved cloth or their own underwear into their throat to stop so it.
0: he literally did that with everyone except for the ones he dropped off right? well
1: not everyone not every single victim was found with underwear in their throats but more than a handful were gotcha On Thanksgiving Day in 1978, 20-year-old James Mazzara went missing. He didn't even get to have dinner with his family that day, like Thanksgiving Day. His body would later be recovered from the Des Plains River. Now, this next murder is the one that got John caught, officially. Okay. This would be the last of his victims. This murder marks the turning point in this case. This is where police finally fucking get involved the way that they needed to be. This is when the crazy shit with John's investigation starts to happen. This is the beginning of him finally getting arrested, his trial, like all of that. So buckle in,
0: everybody. So the police are going to end up being like us earlier. We were like, what the fuck were we doing? Like, Yeah. yeah.
1: Like, what the fuck? We were rooting for you, man.
0: We were fucking rooting for you, man.
1: So the last victim of John Wayne Gacy was a 15-year-old boy named Robert Peist. He was a high school student at Main West High School located in Des Plaines, and John really fucked up with this one. So I don't know if I've mentioned it specifically or not, but John had a very distinctive way that he chose his victims. John would go after the boys that seemed to be not as close with their families, or he would pick boys that had run away from home.
0: Like the less dead people. I
1: was just about to say he picked victims that in society's eyes were less dead, just as you said. People that he could take without a whole army of people looking for them, so to speak. So John was extremely calculated, but he was also losing control at this point. He just quit giving a fuck about how blatant his attacks were. He had this invincibility complex going on, and ultimately it was his downfall because Robert Peist had a very, very strong relationship with... With his family, he was extremely close with all of his relatives and he had a lot of friends. So it was like a major fuck up on John's part to choose Robert. And you'll see mm. what I mean as we continue. The day is December 11th, 1978. 15-year-old Robert Peist was working his usual shift at the Nissan Pharmacy. John Gacy was actually at the pharmacy that day talking to the owner about a possible remodeling job. And while John was there, he set his eyes on Robert.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So after talking to the owner, John approaches Robert, and he offers him a job at PDM. He's telling Robert, hey, if you come work for me, I'll pay you double what you're making now. Like, you seem like a strong young man. Like, I could use you. So Robert is hesitant at first, but eventually he agrees to go talk to John about the job. Okay. So another thing to note here, and it's fucking heartbreaking, but that day, December 11th, was Robert's mother's birthday. Robert actually had plans when he got off of work that day to go eat dinner with his mom and the rest of his family, but he never made it. So when Robert gets off of work that day, he calls his mom and he says, quote, some contractor wants to talk to me about a summer job. I love you. I'll be home for dinner soon. Oh, my God. And that was the last she ever heard of her son. Robert goes over to John's house. John invites him in and offers him a beer. And within minutes of them talking, John asked Robert if he could show him a magic trick. He said, "Hey, can I show you this rope trick?" to be more specific. wee. and I'm sorry, I'm like taking a deep breath. This this really gets me, and I'm just telling everybody now this is yeah. all of this is bad. I don't have to keep saying it, but this one particularly just really weighs on me. So Robert agreed, and John then ties the rope around his wrist and asks him if he can figure out how to get out of it. So Robert struggled for a minute, and then he told John, Okay, you know, I can't figure it out. You can show me the trick now. Like, I'm ready to, you know, you can take the rope off. And John responded to Robert by looking him in his eyes and saying, quote, Well, that's a shame, because now I'm going to fucking rape you, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it.
0: Oh, my God.
1: In John Gacy's own words, later on, when he confessed to everything... He said that when he told Robert this, that Robert just sat still for a moment in shock, and then he started sobbing. John said, quote, he was crying like a crybaby. He was crying scared, end quote.
0: All right, prick.
1: It's fucking sad. Like, you're thinking about this 15-year-old boy. He's a baby.
0: And scared.
1: And he has this rope around his wrist, and John's like, oh, no trick. I'm about to brutally rape you. There's nothing you can do about it. And to think of this boy... Just sitting on wherever he was sitting or standing with this rope. And then he just starts fucking crying. I, that, uh, woo, I can't do it. I just right. fucking can't do it. So John then puts more rope around Robert's neck with him still crying his eyes out. And John brutally rapes and strangles Robert to death. Afterwards, John stripped Robert's body and stuffed cloth down his throat before dumping him into the Des River. John also took a receipt out of Robert's jacket pocket. It was a receipt from the pharmacy that Robert worked at, and it was a receipt for developing film. Mm -hmm. He just puts this receipt in his house somewhere. John Wayne Gacy was definitely the type of killer to keep trophies, as you can tell. Yeah. 15-year-old Robert Peist would be the last victim removed from the Des Plaines River, and it was on April 9th, 1978 that his body was found. Robert still had cloth lodged in his throat when they pulled him out of the water. And I couldn't imagine how this made Robert's mother feel. I mean, good God, when she learns the truth of everything, she has to deal with knowing that her child, her baby, was brutally murdered on her birthday. I cannot even entertain that thought for long.
0: I could never have a birthday again.
1: I mean, I don't know how you would. I really don't know how you would. So. You see a little more emphasis when I said earlier a hundred times that John Wayne Gacy was a fucking monster, the most evil kind of monster. Yeah. So when Robert didn't show up for dinner that night, his mother immediately knew that something was wrong. Disappearing like this was way out of Robert's character, so she knew something had happened. She contacted the police in Des Plaines, and she reported Robert as missing immediately. So bringing up that point about Robert that I said earlier— He was very, very close with his family. He had a lot of friends and classmates who cared about him. Everyone immediately went to high heaven looking for Robert. Yeah. And John was very quickly a person of interest because numerous people had seen John talking to Robert at the pharmacy the day that he vanished. Numerous people specifically heard John offer Robert a job with PDM. Robert's last call to his mom. Also, he said, hey, this guy, John, wants to talk to me about a job. I'll be home later. And then he's never heard from again. So everyone immediately suspected John. Right. So when John was initially questioned about Robert's disappearance, he denied everything. He said, yeah, I talked to him about a job. He never came to my house. I went home. But the police knew this was bullshit. So they started searching through John's records and they saw all of his past offenses. Right. They're seeing those sodomy charges that he had, like all of that shit from a decade earlier. They're seeing that he served time in prison. They're seeing everything. And police only became more suspicious of John going forward now knowing that he has a history of attacking teenage boys. Yeah. So the investigator that took on Robert's case was Lieutenant Joseph Kozenzak. Joseph actually had a son the same age as Robert that went to the same high school as him. So he felt kind of like obligated that, you know, he wanted to solve this case. He wanted to find Robert. Right. The day after Robert's disappearance, Joseph spoke to Robert's mom over the phone. And with what was known about John Gacy's previous convictions, Joseph was convinced that Robert hadn't ran away. Like he believed Robert's mother when she told him that this was not like Robert at all. Robert was an honor student. He was extremely smart and loving. His family cherished him beyond belief. Robert was very happy. He had not one reason to run away. Right. So Joseph believed this. You know, he had no trouble believing that. So the following evening, Joseph Kozenzak and two other Des Plaines police officers go to 8213 West Somerdale Avenue to question John in person. Mm. When they arrive to speak with him, he adamantly denies ever seeing Robert at all after they left the pharmacy. He just denies everything. He denies offering Robert a job. He's just, I didn't, I didn't talk to him. There was none of that. He's denying everything. So Joseph asked John, well, how about this evening? Why don't you come down to the station and give us an official statement? And John said that he couldn't go anywhere because he was waiting on an important phone call about his uncle. He was telling police that his uncle had just died. Mm -hmm. So he's like, sorry, I can't go anywhere to give a statement. I kind of have to take this phone call. So Joseph, he says, well, okay, but after you call, you still need to come in and talk to us because we're looking for a missing boy. So it's kind of important. Right. And like,
0: why the fuck wouldn't you?
1: Exactly. Why would you not just take a few minutes out of your day to come do this? It makes no sense. And this next part absolutely makes me want to jump out of a fucking window like it's something noteworthy that john gacy said okay but when joseph said this to john when joseph told him you know hey sorry about your uncle you still need to come in and give a statement john wayne gacy told him quote you know you guys are really fucking rude you have no respect for the dead end quote
0: Huh. okay
1: john wayne motherfucking gacy told joseph kozenzak that he had no respect for the dead As they're standing in his house above the bodies of 30 dead teenage boys. Like, what in the fuck? Like, I cannot get over that. What do you mean, no respect for the dead John? What the fuck do you mean by that?
0: Why are you acting weird?
1: And I wanna add here that during this questioning, the first time that police are in his house, um, they're looking for Robert, the dead body of Robert Peist was in the attic right above them. John hadn't dumped him in the river yet
0: oh man so
1: that absolutely makes me want to die i can't imagine how these investigators felt when they figured that out that the first time they went to question john that you know robert was right above them the whole time i just can't deal with that like and then on top of that he's going to say some shit like
0: you have no respect for the dead just sit and make fun of this curly headed fuck
1: i can't stand him truly i hate john Wayne gacy i really do So Joseph and the two officers return to the station to wait for John to come in and give his statement. John eventually agrees. He's like, okay, I'll come in later. But he never showed up that evening. John actually showed up to the police station at 3 a.m. the next morning. It was like 2 or 3 a.m. the middle of the fucking night. And he was covered in mud saying that he had been involved in a car accident. So he tells the police that he would just come back the next morning since it was so late.
0: Don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious, <laughs> don't be suspicious, and don't be suspicious.
1: He's not doing a good job.
0: He's not.
1: And you know, if it isn't obvious, John hadn't had a car accident that night. The reason he didn't show up until 3 a.m. was because he was busy dumping Robert's body into the river.
0: God.
1: Later on, a tow truck driver named Bob Kirkpatrick told police that on that day, December 12th, that he had gotten a call from Gacy to come tow his car. At around 2 a.m., Bob went and towed Gacy's car out of a ditch near a bridge on the Des Plains River, which proves that Gacy was out there that night. He had gotten his car stuck in the snow after throwing Robert's body over the bridge.
0: You dumbass...
1: It's fucking insane. But that's why he didn't show up until like 3 a.m. He was covered in mud saying that he had a car accident. That's not the truth. This is what he was doing. And it was confirmed by that tow truck driver. Right. So after John left the police station that night, Joseph was now incredibly suspicious of John. So he filed for a search warrant. Uh, For John's home and it was on December 13th 1978 just two days after the disappearance of Robert Peist that the search warrant was granted. When police searched John's house the first initial time they found some pretty odd and disturbing things to say the very least. Oh lord. Police took a pair of underwear and some clothing that seemed to belong to a teenage boy. They were found in one of John's closets. They also found rolls of nylon rope an address book, switchblade knives, a piece of seemingly blood-stained carpet, a 39-inch wooden board with holes drilled into it, which, yep, that's the rack. Police also found several books about homosexuality and pedophilia. Whoa. The titles of some of these books were as follows. The American Bicentennial Gay Guide. (sighs) I'm sorry. Tight Teenagers. Bike Boy, Sex Between Men and Boys, The Great White Swallow, and 21 (laughs) Abnormal Sex Cases. (laughs) That one got me too. That one got me too.
0: Oh, no. But you know
1: what's fucking sad?
0: Motherfucker got caught being down bad. (laughs) Like,
1: bad. I mean, and it's sick, like Ray. Sex Between Men and Boys.
0: I know. That is
1: a book that exists.
0: Yeah, that's like
1: what the that's fuck dis-
0: that's disgusting. But motherfucker was caught down bad and, and I'm sorry. I just thought that was funny.
1: No, I got you. Like when I was doing my research and I read that, I was like, Great white swallow. <laughs> I lost my fucking shit. Like it's awful. Like it's so awful that if I don't laugh about it, I'm gonna fucking cry. Like, that's just the only way I know how to handle it. Wait, so it.
0: the the Great White Swallow, that's what I'm laughing about is the name, but is is that another pedophilia book?
1: I don't know the context of that book. I can only assume. I don't know. But sex between men and boys and tight teenagers yeah, are definitely pedophilia. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's See, those I weren't laughing about. The Great White Swallow, dying.
1: <laughs> so... With these books, they also found several pornographic films and magazines. Police also found hypodermic needles, bottles of Valium, wallets, and driver's licenses that belonged to other missing teenage boys. A class ring with the initials JAS engraved on it was also found, and we know from earlier that this was John Sizick's ring, but the investigators didn't know that yet. And the last thing found by police was the film developing receipt that I mentioned earlier, the one that John had taken from Robert's jacket pocket. Cadaver dogs were also brought in on the first search warrant, and the dogs were given some of Robert's clothing to use as a scent. And the dogs had a hit on one of John's cars. So they knew from that that Robert Peist had definitely been in this car police also contacted robert's mother to ask her about the receipt that was found in john's house the one that was from the pharmacy yeah and robert's mother said that the receipt more than likely belonged to robert's girlfriend kimberly so the police then reach out to her and she recognized the receipt. She immediately claimed it as hers. Kimberly was actually able to provide the serial number on the receipt and it matched the numbers on the receipt that police had. So this proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was hers. Right. Kimberly told police that the day that Robert vanished that he had let her wear his jacket for a few hours because she was complaining of being cold.
0: Um, okay.
1: Kimberly said she put the receipt in the jacket pocket and then gave the jacket back to Robert before they parted ways. I
0: literally just teared up just now. Yeah, um, it's bad.
1: It shows you truly how kind and how sweet of a kid Robert was. Like he was truly just golden. You're about to
0: make me cry again on this podcast.
1: It makes my fucking heart hurt. And all the ways that I can't describe, like I've came close to crying many times. So after the first search of John's home, police took not only everything that I named off earlier, but they also took one of his work vehicles that he used for PDM. I believe it was a van. Mm -hmm. And they also took his Oldsmobile, which that's the car that had a hit with the cadaver dogs. Police also ordered that John be on 24-hour surveillance at this point in time, like continuous surveillance. Yeah. So going forward from this, John had police continually follow him and watch him. And this did not go over well with John, as you can imagine. Right. He started telling his friends and his peers that the police were just out to get him because they didn't like him.
0: Oh, he's the victim again.
1: Yes, John was saying that he was being abused and harassed by the police for no reason. He also started telling people that the cops that were following him were his bodyguards, like his personal bodyguards. What the fuck? Just a week or two after the order for 24-hour surveillance was put into motion, John hires a defense attorney named Sam Amarante. I think that's how you say it. I'm so sorry if I butchered that last name. But John hires Sam, this attorney, Mm -hmm. and then he files a $750,000 civil lawsuit against the entire city of Des Plaines.
0: What?
1: John filed that his reason for this lawsuit was due to the Des Plaines police causing him a, quote, great deal of emotional anguish. And he filed that the Des Plaines police were not only ruining his reputation within the community, but that they were also illegally taking his personal belongings, you know, because they took all that shit out of his house and his van and everything. John also demanded in this lawsuit that the police surveillance be stopped immediately because it was an invasion of his privacy.
0: Oh, my God.
1: Like what a twisted Fuck, that gives you that much more of a glimpse into how this man's mind is working. Right.
0: Oh, well, it's me, Squidward. can uh-huh. to tell you that John Wayne Gacy? You got some fucking screws loose, man. Couple fries short of a Happy Meal. No shit. John
1: Gacy at this point has brutally raped and murdered over 30 boys and he doesn't only think he's gonna get away with it, but he believes he's gonna get away with it with a fat-ass check from this lawsuit. Like, because he's in so much agony over the police watching him like what in the fuck kind of shit is this this lawsuit went nowhere obviously but it's just the fact that he tried that shit like he tried it right so going forward john started to act like a real asshole to the police that were watching him he would often drive around aimlessly while police followed behind him like he would drive in circles and just you know Just drive around, basically. Just waste
0: everybody's time.
1: Yeah, he's out here wasting time, wasting gas, making everyone else waste time and waste gas just being a fucking prick. He would even go and talk to these officers and ask them to go eat with him at different restaurants. And he would invite them over to his house to party just like being a fucking dick. Wow. On December 18th, 1978, Gacy invited two detectives to have breakfast with him at a local restaurant. So these detectives, their last names were Albrecht and Hackmeister.
0: Okay. They agree
1: to go with John, and they all eat together. And during this breakfast, John just rambles on and on about his past marriages and his success with PDM. He even talks about how much he loves being a clown. And at one point, John is quoted as saying, you know... Clowns can get away with anything. Clowns can get away with murder.
0: Get the fuck out of here.
1: Like, what in the fuck? A, chills up my spine. B, fuck you, John Wayne Gacy. C, he said that shit. Right. To these two detectives. So, the next day, investigators learned that the class ring found in John's house belonged to 19-year-old John Sizek, who had gone missing a year earlier.
0: Look at them. Fucking doing police work. Finally
1: and with this new piece of evidence it just kind of solidified that john had definitely done something like too much evidence was piling up Mm -hmm. at this point in the story police are only looking for robert peist at this point they have no idea that john had killed over 30 boys and men so when the discovery of john sizzick's ring was found they took john into custody like even though they didn't have a body yet they knew that he had done something So they're suspecting that Robert Pice could possibly be in John's house somewhere, maybe being kept against his will. They had no idea that he was already dead.
0: Oh, man.
1: So all of this led police to secure a second search warrant for Gacy's home. And this time they were like, "Okay, fuck this. Like, we're going to rip the floor up. Like, his house smells like death. We're finding all this shit. He has things that belong to missing children. Like, it's time we do something. We're going to rip the floor up. It's time to dig. Time to dig. And that's what they did. It was December 22nd, 1978 that this search warrant was put into motion. And investigators began to dig into Gacy's crawl space. And we're going to talk about that whole scene here in just a minute. But when John finds out that police are going to search his crawl space, he confesses. He confesses to all of the murders while he's in custody. Wow. John said, quote, Robert Pice is dead. He's not in my crawl space. He's in the river, end quote. And then he went on to say, quote, I've killed 30 people, give or take a few. I've been the judge, the jury, and the executioner for many, many people. Now I want to be my own, end quote. Whoa. And then John began to explain that there were four people inside of him. John the politician, John the clown, John the contractor, and then a fourth person named Jack. And as I said in part one, John would say that Jack was the evil personality that was responsible for all of the murders. Right. Right. The following is an excerpt from an interview that Esquire did with Detective Albrecht. He was present for John's confession, and this is him talking about the confession in his own words. Albrecht said, quote, We were in a small interview room for the confession. Seated next to me was Gacy's lawyer, Sam, and standing behind him was the other attorney, Leroy Stevens. Right across from me was Gacy. Getting statements from him, I asked him to explain several things that happened, and he was leaning back in his chair kind of comfortable. I was there for three or four of these, and he never once showed any remorse. He always blamed the kids. It was their fault. They came to him for money, for drugs, for sex, for whatever it may be, and he specifically said that they put the ropes around their own neck and they got what they deserved. He never had any remorse in any way. But this particular time, I'm trying to get his statement. He's leaning back in his chair. It was very late, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. He had his eyes closed, and he was talking. And we were talking back and forth. And Sam started calling him, trying to get his attention, and he would say, Jack, well, what about this? Or Jack, what about that? To try to get a conversation by addressing Jack. And Gacy wouldn't respond. After probably five times of doing that, finally, I said, Hey, John, your attorney's trying to get your attention. And Sam was sitting right next to me, and he immediately responded. Sam gave me a look of, why would you do that? Well, it's because his little plan didn't work. He didn't respond to Jack, but he responded to my John immediately. End quote. So John just goes on to spill everything. He's just rambling on and on about he had brutally beaten, raped, and murdered 30 people. And what's even more truly shocking and just sick as fuck, as Albrecht said, and as I've touched on periodically through this case... John blames his victims for what happened to them. He told investigators, quote, They were bad, bad people. You just don't understand. They were going to blackmail me.
0: That's disgusting.
1: He talks in this way to paint himself as a victim. Every demented, sadistic, and evil thing that he did to these boys, he blames them for it. And that just makes me fucking speechless because it's shocking. During his confession... John Gacy was even able to recall exact dates and times that he had killed all of his victims. He remembered all of the dates and times. Wow. He wasn't as good with remembering their names, but it's fucking insane that he was able to remember every date and time that he had killed someone. That just fucking creeps me out.
0: Yeah. It's like it made such an impact on him to remember those dates.
1: It was pleasure for him. That's like the ultimate thrill. He's yeah. like, these are happy things for him. Right. And it's just fucking insane. So, during this confession, John also drew a diagram of his house for the police. Like, he was labeling where investigators would find all of the bodies. He drew a map, basically. And then he told investigators that they would find five of his victims not under the crawl space, but in the Des Plaines River, including Robert Peist. And it just sends chills up my spine. He sees that he's about to be found out. He knows police are about to dig up his house. And he just casually, nonchalantly tells police how he had brutally killed all of these boys. And then he blames the boys for what happened to them.
0: Yeah, that's disgusting. Like,
1: it is too fucking much. So now John Gacy has confessed to all of these murders, and investigators are about to unearth one of the most unimaginably horrific crime scenes that the world had ever seen. Going back to John's house, investigators had gotten the second search warrant, they're now at the house, and they're about to go in and dig. A prosecutor named Robert Egan was one of the first on scene, and he was one of the first to go into John Gacy's crawlspace. When the floor was lifted up, he described that within minutes, he come up upon skeletal human remains. The scent of death was very overwhelming, and he said that after finding the first set of human bones that another investigator found a ribcage very close by. It was the ribcage of a second body, like right next to the first one.
0: Oh, my God.
1: The following clip is a clip of Robert Egan describing this in his own words. I'm going to play that for you now. The first body was excavated, and everyone was kind of standing around waiting for the excavation. There was a lot of water in the crawl space. As a matter of fact, the body had to be taken up Literally out of water The evidence technician had to reach down and feel a rib cage and then pull the ribcage up out of the water the, the parts were put into a body bag and as that was taking place The evidence technician that was doing the excavation was feeling down under the water and he He yelled out to us and we everybody kind of turned around to see what he was worried He said, and he said I've, I've got another rib cage down here
0: Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, this scene was something straight out of hell. No one was expecting to find all of these bodies. This was a scene that absolutely scarred this community. It scarred the entire world. Neighbors of Gacy would later recant that they'll never forget seeing John Gacy's house all taped off with patrol cars all down the street. Some of these neighbors even remembered several investigators in full hazmat gear running out into the lawn from inside the house to puke. Oh, my God. And I couldn't imagine this. Like, one by one, bodies started being brought up from John's crawl space. It took weeks to unearth all of the bodies. And this doesn't count the four that were eventually recovered from the river. The bodies of 27 boys were eventually recovered from the crawl space, and two more from under the garage. Like, that is an absurd amount of death. I just, it's chilling. I couldn't imagine this.
0: Oh my, and then you've got the one that was under the barbecue pit and shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my God.
1: On February 6th, 1980, John Wayne Gacy's trial began in Chicago. He was facing 33 counts of first-degree murder, and it was one of the most publicized murder trials in American history gacy immediately went for the insanity plea like right out the gate and this claim didn't exactly go over well and i mean you can imagine in a court of law with someone being charged with meticulously killing 33 boys the whole argument of oh well i didn't know what i was doing that's not gonna really hold up yeah that's bullshit this plea was almost immediately rejected john's defense attorney sam amarante i'm still saying that wrong i'm so sorry but he said that Gacy indeed had moments of temporary insanity at the time of each individual murder. But then he would regain his sanity before and after to lure and continue murdering victims. Bullshit. One doctor that was brought into this trial to examine John was Dr. Richard Rapaport. He was a psychiatrist. Richard spent almost 70 hours interviewing John throughout this trial, and he said himself that after all of that time with John, that he 100% believed that John was not suffering from any kind of psychological disorders or personality disorders. He pretty much said that John wasn't insane, but just evil, truly evil. Numerous doctors and psychiatrists would be brought in throughout this trial. They all reached the same conclusion that John was not insane and that he knew exactly what he was doing when he brutally killed these 33 boys. Right. The following clip is of a prosecutor named William Kunkel, This is a short snippet of his testimony regarding if he thought John was insane or not. He worked on this case. So I'm going to play that now. He had underlined passages in red in his family Bible, uh, indicating his knowledge of his own guilt uh, as a Catholic. Uh, The blasphemers, the idolaters, the abusers of themselves with mankind shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He had that underlined. He had the Illinois statute book with the paper clips and underlining on the Sexually Dangerous Persons Act. He knew exactly what he was doing and he even knew what the consequences of it was.
0: So, see, it's shit like that.
1: Fucking chills.
0: It's shit chills. like that, man.
1: People that had survived being attacked by John were also brought to the stand to testify. Robert Donnelly was one of these people. If you remember earlier, he's the one that was brutally raped by John. He had his head held underwater in the bathtub yeah. and then the gun being held to his face. The whole Russian roulette thing. That's this guy. So when Robert told the courts of what John did to him, it was reported that he screamed repeatedly. This is hell. This is hell. While sobbing uncontrollably, he had a complete breakdown. And this is like two years later.
0: God. It
1: has absolutely ruined him. Jeffrey Rignall was also brought to the stand to tell his experience with John, which Jeffrey was the one that was brutally assaulted, brutally, and then dropped under the statue in Lincoln Park.
0: Yeah, the uh, chloroform one.
1: Yes. When Jeffrey was testifying, he sobbed and even threw up several times on the stand. He actually had to be carried out of the courtroom because he had a complete meltdown.
0: God...
1: And this is fucking sad. Like, these poor people are forever horrifically traumatized by what happened to them. And, like, I can't imagine. I, I cannot imagine the depth of horror that they encountered. Like, I truly can't. Like, yeah. years later, for them to cry and puke and scream and have a fucking freak-out meltdown just by talking about it. I couldn't imagine that. That absolutely just breaks my heart. So all of this considered john's insanity plea was completely thrown out by the courts the prosecution wanted to go forward with delivering the death penalty william kunkel one of the prosecutors i mentioned earlier the one that was speaking in that clip he said to the presiding judge quote if this is not an appropriate case for the death penalty then there is no death penalty in illinois this is a case that cries out not only for the voices of 33 dead but for the voices of 33 families but yes the voice of every single citizen in this state as well. And this voice is saying, John Wayne Gacy, this is enough. End quote.
0: That's powerful.
1: The courts also filed a motion to charge John Gacy with all 33 murders simultaneously, instead of having separate trials for each victim. Okay. So the courts kind of decided that 33 separate trials would not only cost a shit ton, but they didn't want to put the families through that. Right. So they decided to charge all, all of it at one time. They pinned all of the murders on him at once. After only two hours of deliberation, the jury found John Wayne Gacy guilty on 33 counts of first-degree murder, and on March 13, 1980, he was sentenced to death. Ooh. John Gacy showed not one bit of remorse for his actions throughout his trial. After he was given the death penalty and he was being walked out of the courtroom, he actually laughed, smiled, and winked at several people. John also stated to the courts that the only thing he should be convicted of was, quote, running a cemetery without a license, end quote. Damn. It's fucking sickening, the lack of accountability. John Gacy had not one ounce of remorse, not one. And going forward up until his last words, which are very notable, you're going to see that. He gave not one fuck this entire time, never, not once. God. So John Gacy would spend the next 14 years on death row And he would get into painting like he started painting portraits basically he would paint self-portraits of him dressed as pogo the clown and he would also paint himself outside of clown attire i mean he self-portraits was mainly what he would paint he painted a couple of other things but that's just what he was doing so he started making art and even today his art is still out there somewhere i'll actually post a few pictures of some of his paintings on our social medias uh if you guys would like to see them for yourself it's fucking chilling. I've seen some of these paintings, and they're fucking chilling, to say the very yeah, least. Yeah, I
0: saw one painting that you showed me, and I was just like, okay, mm-hmm, hate it.
1: A lot of his paintings were also sold at auctions after his execution, and some people even bought his paintings just so they could destroy them. In June of 1994, a bonfire was held in Naperville, Illinois, and 25 of John Gacy's paintings were burned at this event the families of nine of the victims were in attendance. Good. As for the nine unidentified bodies that were found in Gacy's crawlspace, each of them was given a funeral service. Nine caskets were donated for these bodies, and outside of Oak Ridge Glen Oak Cemetery, yellow mums and daisies were arranged into a semicircle in honor of the unidentified boys when they were laid to rest. Wow. On May 10th, 1994, 14 years later, Hundreds of people gathered outside Stateville Correctional Center in Crest Hill, Illinois, to celebrate the execution of John Wayne Gacy. People were literally partying and treating this as some sort of event. There were actually several arrests made that day due to a public intoxication, open container violations, and disorderly conduct. People were literally tailgating.
0: What the fuck?
1: There were also vendors set up outside of the penitentiary to sell Gacy-related T-shirts and other merchandise.
0: People fucking scare me sometimes. People dude. fucking
1: scare me, too. It's barbaric. It is fucking barbaric. Like, people were literally partying. Like, I get it. We want them to die. Great and dandy. But, like, fuck. It touches on that whole history of public execution and how people went fucking animalistic wanting to see this shit. Like, it's terrifying. This very much happened. You know. I mean, it's still scary to think about, though, right. that that part of human psyche that's fucking barbaric. It's just something to touch on. But yeah, Gacy's execution was a fucking party. It would be on that day, March 10th at 1258 a.m., that John Wayne Gacy would be executed by lethal injection. He was 52 years old. His last meal consisted of one dozen deep fried shrimp, a bucket of original recipe chicken from KFC, a pound of fresh strawberries and french fries.
0: He looks like a french fry.
1: And his last words, which I said are quite notable, were, quote, kiss my ass. One of the nation's most notorious serial killers is dead. John Wayne Gacy was executed by lethal injection early this morning at the state prison in Joliet, Illinois. Gacy had spent more than 14 years on Illinois' death row after being convicted of the brutal murders of 33 young men and boys. Most were found buried beneath his home in suburban Chicago. And that concludes my coverage of the killer clown John Wayne Gacy. That was
0: that was a lot. That was a lot. I'm still trying to process.
1: I'm very happy that we're done with this. (laughs) Honestly, Uh, we've had two weeks of suffering. I'm so ready to be done with John Wayne Gacy, but uh, it was rough. I told you all it was going to be rough.
0: Yeah, I mean, my heart is with all the families. Like, I was just tearing up, man. Like
1: It's bad. I remember you saying in part one, you know, that you didn't really know much about this case. Like you had seen a movie, but that's not really a, an accurate depiction. So right. you learned all of this for the first time, you know, going through this with me. So And
0: I hate it.
1: I mentioned it in part one. I said that I would talk about it more towards the end, but I kind of forgot. But that victim that was identified in 2021, just two years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he was identified by DNA submitted by his family. And he was identified as Francis Wayne Alexander. And he was 21 or 22 years old when he was murdered by Gacy.
0: Wow. So
1: that was the most recent victim identification. I think there are five or six unidentified victims of Gacy today.
0: And that's still chilling to think about. Like, there are still people who have absolutely no voice at all.
1: And there's families that to this day, decades later, they don't know what happened to their loved ones. Right. And I just that cripples me. Oh, it cripples me. It cripples me. It's like I said in part one, there are just so many families, even not just the unidentified victims, but the families of all the victims. There right. are people that are very much suffering today because of this.
0: Well, you have done the damn thing, and I'm so glad that the damn thing is done <laughs> because God damn.
1: Yeah, this one was pretty bad. I'm really happy to be done with it, honestly. I'm-
0: Oh, God, like just thinking about the overall story that we have covered in these last two parts. And it's just wild. I don't know. Like this whole story is just chilling. It's just chilling that anybody could do that. Yeah,
1: it's fucking insane. As I said in the beginning of part one, John Wayne Gacy was one of the most evil, most depraved and sadistic fucking killers I've ever read about. That man went to his death not having a shred of remorse for anything. Again, his last words were, kiss my ass. Wow. There's actually one thing that I read. I don't know how true it is, but um, when he was on death row and he was being interviewed and asked about how he felt like about being sentenced to death, John Gacy said something to the effect of, um, I don't really care because killing me is not going to bring them back. Yeah. And that's fucking the absolute callousness and lack of humanity it's just it's too fucking much so yeah and one more thing which is wild i actually cannot believe that i left this out earlier i just so much information my brain was frazzled but after gacy's execution a doctor named dr morrison received permission from his family to remove and then examine his brain
0: what? Yeah. Okay.
1: Dr. Morrison wanted to see if there were any injuries or abnormalities that could have caused Gacy to commit the crimes that he committed. And this is chilling as fuck. But uh, after extensive research by not only Dr. Morrison, but several other doctors and researchers, it was found that the brain of John Wayne Gacy had absolutely no abnormalities.
0: What? N- no
1: injuries. Like, no nothing that would indicate that anything was terribly wrong oh yeah i'm happy that we're done so you guys to close out everything we can now be done with this two-week nightmare i hope you enjoyed my coverage of john wayne gacy i'm glad that we're moving on if you would like to follow me and ray and all of our weird well i have great news for you you can definitely do
0: that find us on facebook at
1: gore report a true crime podcast
0: on instagram Aunt Gore Report Podcast. And Twitter. Aunt Gore Report. Don't forget, guys, send us an email at goreportpod at gmail.com. So, yeah, I absolutely hated every fucking second of this. I never want to see another magic trick as long as I live. Oh, yeah. And John, fuck you. I hope the chicken you ate before you died was the worst chicken you ever had. Kate, thanks. Man, I'm so glad we're done with this
1: Yeah, me too
0: Okay, guys Bye, Bye. Are you afraid? You should be You bless me